Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. So what's your U.S. presidential knowledge like? That is an interesting question. Mm -hmm. I do feel like I know a lot of American history Mm -hmm. because of what I've researched, particularly American Revolution. Right. But presidential history is like a full blind spot for me. Right. Because (laughs) I was never required to learn all of the president's Uh names. I remember when I finally saw a list of how many there were, I was like, oh, that's a lot. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. A lot of white people, a lot of men. (laughs) Yeah. And I just was like, okay, great. And I just didn't see the point in like trying to always constantly remember dates and people's names associated with dates. Like that to me just was like, that's not why we study history. Right. I feel like I had to do that for my AP history class when I was a senior in high school. That was like a thing. It was like, you need to know the presidents in order and I needed to know the length of their administration too. And that is all knowledge that has since totally fallen out of my head like I could tell you presidents but like I couldn't tell you what number they are like where they are in like chronological order you know except for Lincoln and you know Washington right (laughs) Washington right right and like you know some of the other ones I have always said if I ever am on Jeopardy for real I'm your phone a friend well certainly (laughs) but it would I would have to study up on my presidential knowledge Mm -hmm. because they always have a category about that. Yeah. Like almost every time. Yeah. That would definitely be what I would have to study up Mm -hmm. on. What about you? What would I need to brush up on? Probably my U.S. mountain ranges. Thank you, (laughs) Miss Thing over here. (laughs) Um, Those are things I do know. And probably like, I probably have to look into foreign monarchy because I feel like that's often comes up. Yeah, yeah. And also... I would say some African and Asian geography. Like yeah. I know a lot of countries in those spaces, but I can't tell you exactly where they are on a map. Like some I can, but like, I think that would be the thing. I feel like too, as like US citizens were not taught like a very good whole world approach to history and geography. And that Holy. is 
a real big detriment, I feel, in like in a lot of ways. Um, Hugely so. So yeah, those would definitely be things that I'd have to go back into. And I love that. I love the history. I love learning geography and, you know, being able to place things where they need to go place for everything and everything in its place (laughs) (laughs) maybe we've done this before Mm -hmm. which i love this game in the car Mm -hmm. when we just pick a continent and Mm -hmm. we have to memorize all the countries on the continent and then all the capital cities in those countries yeah like that's that's a good way that's a good use of our time on long road drives yeah on so, long road drives because yeah, on they're... long <laughs> road drives because we're going to be together for a while when we're driving on the road and it's long I'm looking for adventure I want to follow on the trail or get a little lost and let the wind fill my sail Get up when the stars still fill the sky Don't wake the sun There's so much to be done And the day has just begun Go where the postcards are real You can feel You can open your eyes And open your heart When you gaze At the National Park At the National Park Follow you, I'll follow you there. Welcome to Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. The podcast that brings you one hiking trail in one national park, one park at a time. I'm Dusty. And I'm Mike. And this episode is the second in a series of episodes all about the National Military Park in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Over the summer of 2020, we had the chance to visit Gettysburg, along with our trip that took us to Catoctin Mountain in Maryland. This was one of the first trips that we took together in the time of COVID. That's right. In our last episode, we discussed the first part of our day at Gettysburg National Military Park, and also examine the differences between a military park, national battlefields, national battlefield parks, and national battlefield sites, which is a lot of distinction for just 25 units of the NPS. But nevertheless, there are methodologies in place for how they are sorted. We also recounted the first day of the Battle of Gettysburg and what events brought the Union and Confederate armies to this southern Pennsylvania town. If you missed the last episode, a lot of it had to do with the fact that Gettysburg was at the center of 10 roads, and that the Confederacy was looking to replenish some supplies, while the Union was trying to shield Washington, D.C., and other northern cities from Confederates that were moving northward. These are the broadest of strokes. We'll dive deeper into the second day of battle, along with the second part of our journey within the park, in a little while. But in the meantime, we want to mention two presidents for whom Gettysburg was very important, Abraham Lincoln and Dwight D. Eisenhower. In the Venn diagram of these two presidents, both the fact that they were Republican, although the party had shifted massively by the time Eisenhower was president, and the fact that Gettysburg was an important space for them would fall squarely in the center ellipse. Let's talk about Abraham Lincoln first, since after all, he does come first chronologically. Lincoln arrived at Gettysburg at what is now known as the Gettysburg-Lincoln train station. The trip itself was almost halted due to the illness that had come over his son, Tad. Lincoln and his wife, Mary Todd, 
had already lost two of their children, and so she was rightfully upset by the fever that Tad had developed. Lincoln decided, despite his son's health, that this opportunity, the importance of speaking about the war and its progress, and overarching goals was too important to pass up. He boarded the train to Gettysburg, taking the trip with many members of his cabinet, including Secretary of State Seward and the Postmaster General. After he arrived, Lincoln and the crowd of onlookers moved to the area of town known as the Diamond, but what is today known as Lincoln Square. Here, Lincoln was a guest of David Willis, a prominent lawyer who helped to organize and finance the creation of the 17-acre National Cemetery. It was here that Lincoln met Governor Curtin of Pennsylvania, as well as other notable figures and dignitaries, and here where he worked to finish one of the most famous speeches in American history. We'll leave a little cliffhanger here for our next episode, but suffice it to say, Lincoln came and completed the task before him and boarded the train back to Washington, D.C. in the evening of the following day. As for Dwight D. Eisenhower, the 34th president of the United States, Gettysburg had a lingering presence throughout his life. Eisenhower, a distinguished general, statesman, and moderate Republican who worked with the Democrats to pass bills that continued the New Deal or Fair Deal programs, started his eminent career at West Point Military Academy. His first visit to Gettysburg was in 1915 to study the battle as a cadet. Two years later, during World War I, he and his wife, Mamie, and first son returned to Gettysburg to set up and command a new tank training center at the battlefield named Camp Colt. While Eisenhower hoped for a foreign assignment, those would come later. After the end of World War I, he left Gettysburg and began swiftly rising through the ranks until the invasion of Poland by Nazi Germany and the start of World War II. Eisenhower became a five-star general and eventually the supreme allied commander for the D-Day invasion of Europe. After the war, he retired from the armed service in 1948 to become the president of Columbia University. The Eisenhowers, looking for a weekend and later retirement home, remembered the early days of their marriage and the fondness they held for the Gettysburg area. They purchased a 189-acre farm that was adjacent to the battlefield, which would serve not only for relaxing and retirement, but also as a site to host foreign leaders and dignitaries in years to come. Eisenhower was brought out of retirement to command the newly formed NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, by President Truman in 1950. He later went on to win two terms in office starting in 1953 and ending in 1961. During his presidency, the remodeled farmhouse on the Gettysburg property would be the site of some important meetings between Eisenhower and foreign leaders, and also act as a temporary White House for a time, as Eisenhower spent a great deal of time there recovering from a heart attack in 1955. The Eisenhowers did eventually retire to this home after the presidency in 1961, and in 1967, they donated the farm to the National Park Service. Eisenhower died two years later in 1969, and Mamie continued to live in the home till her death in 1979. A year later in 1980, this home, which brought the Eisenhowers so much joy, became a permanent open fixture to the National Park Service. And with that, let's take our first break. We're playing the vault. Oh, great. We haven't played this in a little while. Three cheeses. Three cheeses. Okay. Of all the cheeses, you can only choose three. The oh. rest are destroyed forever. Oof. Ah. Okay. Well, Gouda ain't going nowhere because I love that smoky taste in my mouth. I feel like one has to, like, I just really enjoy a cheddar. Like, you can't get better than cheddar. <laughs> so I think I have to put cheddar in the vault too. So cheddar and Gouda. I think my last cheese is mozzarella. 
I think that's just like a standard. Like you can do a lot of Italian dishes with it. It's good on a lot of things. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, brie was like a, a shot in the dark for me. Because like I really would love to put that into, but if I only get yeah. three, that's fine. You only get three. That's fine. Gouda. Brie is destroyed. Gouda. <laughs> Gouda, cheddar, and mozzarella. What about you? Parmesan. Well done. Immediately. Like, you know. Yes. Do shots of it. <laughs> I do. I do. In college, I used to get pieces of bread. I would sprinkle Parmesan on them. Mm-hmm. And I would eat just Parmesan on bread. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, I also am going to have to say cheddar because like, but I want like an extremely aged, ridiculously sharp, smells from across the county cheddar. Mm-hmm. And then um, Munster. Oh, the Munster. I mush. love Munster. Munster is a good one. I get it. Yeah, I know. Well, everything else is dead to you then. I know everything else is dead. All right, three yard like lawn games that you'd maybe like play, or that could also be beach games. Like you get to pick three. Okay, so that like is a pretty wide field because nobody plays it enough. Um, badminton. Okay, I love that little game <laughs> i love that little i game. love that little game <laughs> right kickball oh. because ain't nobody play that enough i, I love that game kickball kickball is where it's at okay i'm gonna keep dodgeball oh that's more like a court kind sure. of but whatever yeah i'm keeping it i'm going um, with like more of like equipment type games so i'm gonna say can jam because i freaking love can jam that's a fun game and that is I love it. I just want to play it all the time. Mm -hmm. I want to jam on some cans. I'm also going to say bocce ball because I love a good game of bocce. I don't know that I've ever played bocce Uh, ball. That's like Italian Things we'll do with summer. Things we'll do this Mm -hmm. summer. Good. And then volleyball. Those Mm. are my three. Notice we didn't say frisbees because... Sorry. Uh, well, well, can, can jam, jam is, is frisbee. frisbee. Yeah. I enjoy frisbee in a can jam situation. <laughs> I enjoy a good frisbee and a can jam situation. Seriously, though. But you don't just like throwing it? No. Yeah. No. It's a no from me. <laughs> because I'm just like... What about frisbee golf? That is a fascinating oh, thing. I, I just, don't... I'm sorry, but yeah. like frisbee tossing to me is like the most boring thing well, ever. you've just alienated the frisbee market. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I just... Mm-hmm. I don't get it. Sorry. I just feel like, let me just throw something to you that's going to just like go way the hell somewhere else and not at you. Well, maybe you're just not good at it. Well, maybe I'm not. We would like to acknowledge that while touring and walking around Gettysburg National Military Park, we were on the traditional and stolen lands of the Iroquois. So we left off in the last episode. We were at the Eternal Light and Peace Memorial. Yes, the giant obelisk with a eternal flame on the top. That's right. Right. What's an obelisk? Just remember the Washington Monument, folks. That's an obelisk. That's an obelisk. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Oh, didn't they use an obelisk at the? Wasn't that the murder weapon in Search Party? A spoiler alert if you haven't well, watched Search Party. Well, we don't Party. know who's dead yet, but yes, it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. That's an obelisk. And you should be watching Search Party it's if great. you haven't. Yeah, it is great. 
We left off there. We had gone towards the fire tower that was right near the Eternal Light and Peace Monument. You know, we couldn't climb it, even though I wanted to, um, because of obviously COVID regulations. After that point, we kind of like turn around, essentially. This like, is a driving tour. Yeah, this is a driving tour. We're run, on remember. a driving yeah. tour. And um, we're in the car. And so, yeah, we do have to turn around. And we're listening to... An audio tour. Right, that's playing GPS. Yep, that's playing through yeah. an app. We talk all about that app in the last episode. Mm-hmm. So basically, it wants to take you down to Barcolo Knoll um, and pass other monuments and memorials, as well as some of the Union positions on the first day of fighting. We kind of decided to... We didn't necessarily hit that. We kind of headed back towards the Eternal Light and Peace Monument, and that is basically going to take us onto a road where there are a lot of Confederate state monuments. And that's yes. that's called West Confederate Avenue. And the Confederate state monuments are all statues that were put in place by the states, particularly <laughs> the by, southern states. Yes, by the southern states. Mm-hmm. They weren't put there until like way after. Way after. Right. And the whole point of them being put there is Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, <laughs> listen. There's a whole episode we, we do, do about a this. whole episode about this called "Monumental Failures." So it's called it's a trail mix, right? And we'll talk a little bit about it in our next Gettysburg episode because we did actually come back here and kind of walk around in the evening of the last part of the day when we were here. The monuments themselves are large and they are very figurative. Yes. All of them include figures um right some are very allegorical and some are very very literal literal. Mm -hmm. so we'll just leave it there for now but um this is like a space that we were able to drive down and kind of get a little bit of more information about these through the audio tour as well and basically we pass as we're driving here on our right, the Eisenhower National Historic Site, as we kind of pass these monuments and drive down the road a little bit more. And this road is sort of basically... It's full of hills. It's full of hills. It's also full of fields. This is also the route that General uh, James Longstreet sort of takes on this day, which you'll hear about a little bit more in a bit. You know, I think we would have stopped at the Eisenhower Historical Site if we could have. But again, during time of COVID, it was really everything was sort of closed. Yeah. So it wasn't a space we could go in and explore. But it is very sort of, it was peaceful back there. I do yeah. remember that. Like it was sort of dipped low. Like mm-hmm. after you came off of West Confederate Ave where, or got past the monuments, I should say, you sort of dip down and you're kind of like below, I feel like a lot of the fields. Like, yeah. so you're not able to see very much into the distance either way. Um, that eventually changes and you basically, the road starts to head up and you head up big round top towards a little round top. And this is a spot where we were able to really get out and explore a lot more. After doing so many field trips um, to Gettysburg with my school, this is definitely the one site that I think every tour guide takes every bus. Um, Because first of all, the stop always wowed the students. They really not only enjoy the view that they're able to see, because you can basically see all the way to Seminary Ridge, which is kind of where the Republic... Republican. Where the Confederate position was for a lot of the battle um, on the second and third day. It's also an incredibly craggy and rocky area, which is paved at the top. And despite being told a million times not to, they climb all over everything, essentially. We 
stopped and got out at Little Round Top. Mm-hmm. And this was, there was a lookout right here. Yeah. And um, you can see across the fields here. Yeah. It's so interesting reading about events and battles, but then seeing the geography. Yes. Because you're like, huh, okay. So because of the way this physical space is made up, the following events happened here. Right. And this is why this space was important. Fascinating. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You can read about a battle all you want, and but until you're in that space, you really don't, I think, have that sort of understanding of it. And it really is... To be able to stand here at the top and be able to see the vast distance, this view is really, really incredible. And you see so much of, um, you see so many areas that are pivotal in the second day of fighting at Gettysburg. Uh, and most of them are right sort of below you. Also here at Little Round Top is this castle that has this very expansive overlook. Yeah. Opportunity yes. that you get. Yeah. There are about two dozen monuments actually right here at the top, but this is the one that sort of stands out the most. And it's the monument to the 12th and 44th New York. And the building itself is 44 feet tall and 12 feet wide to honor both of those regiments that it's dedicated to. You know, I Things didn't know that. Things that I researched. <laughs> um, I did not know that. Yeah. The tower itself has a spiral staircase. Um, the top, we climbed that. Right. You can't go all the way to the top of the tower, but it kind of puts you out onto that like overlook that's over the main part it's of the building. It's like a big like, terrace, terrace yeah. right there. And this I've never was able to do when we were there with students because I think the tour guides were like, we can't bring them near the castle. <laughs> They'll freak out. Like, okay. And it, you'll never get them down kind of thing. So yeah, this was kind of nice to be able to just again, experience something that I'd been so close to on a lot of trips, but really didn't get the opportunity to explore a little bit more. This gives an even better view because you're even higher, which is great. Right. There's another monument that's right near the castle, and that's to the 140th New York. And there's a bronze bas-relief bust of Colonel Patrick O'Rourke. He was killed in the defenses of Little Round Top as he rushed to secure it. We point this out because the face of O'Rourke's bust, primarily his face, is shiny and it's almost golden. Do you remember this? Yes. Yeah. And that has to do with the fact that touching the statue or touching anything that's bronze, you're effectively rubbing away the oxide that's on the bronze. Because of the oils on your fingers. Right. Bronze is actually that gold color. So the oxide is the brown that settles in after being exposed to oxygen. Right. If you think about the Statue of Liberty, the Statue of Liberty was actually copper when it was first erected after being in the harbor air for so long it patinaed to have this like you know green color that we know to this day is that sort of like statue of liberty kind of like like a milky green color is what i'll call it milky green milky green (laughs) i mean right yeah yeah basically yeah so that's you know the park service does recommend and ask that you do not touch those statues too because you know it can damage the bronze as well as polishing it so just something to kind of think about when you're in spaces just like if you're in a museum don't touch things yeah (laughs) unless it's the please touch museum unless it's the please touch museum right Mm -hmm. so other monuments that are here at little round top this column or tower to the 91st Pennsylvania Infantry, as well as a statue to Governor Kemble Warren, who rushed towards Little Round Top to defend it as it was unguarded. After Little Round Top, we headed down towards Devil's Den. 
which was another area that I had not been able to stop at ever before. So this was really pretty cool to be yeah, able to see Devil's this. Den was, there's these giant rocky boulders sitting in this field. Mm-hmm. And this is right below, right where we were prior. Right yep. below. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can park and you can like hike up to the top of these boulders. It's not long. No. No. But there are tiny little trails that go in and around yeah, them up at the top. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that was fun to also get some really awesome views all around. And also perspective on the battle. And this spot is also another like major spot within the second day of fighting. So to kind of see and experience the terrain again, it was very interesting to be able to like get that perspective. While it was very historically important, mm-hmm. this area here at Devil's Den, this did sort of feel like, uh, like oh, an exploratory spot. Yes. Yeah. Whereas so many other spots weren't necessarily like get out and walk through it. Right. And I think that's kind of, it kind of helped to break up the audio tour um, because just like other parks that we've been to where it is kind of like a drive and get out, um, it does kind of become a little draining after just doing that. And that's like, it's such a weird psychosomatic sort of thing. I don't know what it is, but it's definitely happens every time where we have to sort of do like a just drive and like get out because that's just what the way the park is or that part of the park is. It does sort of, um, it kind of wears on you. It does. It does. It's wild. And there were, you know, a decent amount of people around at Devil's Den. Yeah, the park never felt super crowded, but this did feel like, oh, there's life happening here. People are, you know, venturing out and trying to see some things. And that was nice during this pandemic summer. Right. Obviously, we were all still very careful. There was a lot of mask wearing. It was nice to see that. Um, even in the outdoors, which is something that is still something we should consider and be considerate of others when to, you're yeah. outdoors. Yeah. yeah. So from here, we headed down the road to the next stop on the audio tour, which was the Pennsylvania Memorial, which is the largest, the largest <laughs> memorial in Gettysburg. Well, you cannot miss no. this memorial. Well, you know what? If you are the state where this battle has happened, you got to go big or you got to go home. <laughs> and going home means you're already there. So you better go big. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's very impressive. Yes. So it's almost like a mausoleum monument in yeah. a way. It has four open doorways and um, a ton of statues. And then it also has a list of all of the soldiers of Pennsylvania who fought in the Battle of Gettysburg, and it's over 34,000 names. Right, which is crazy. But when you think about like the hundreds of thousands of men that were here, it kind of makes sense that so many of them were from Pennsylvania, considering this is where the battle happened. Um, At the very top of this sort of mausoleum structure, there's like a cupola, which is sort of just like a dome. Um, And then there is a statue of the winged victory um, at the top. And the top tip of the sword of the winged victory makes the monument 110 feet tall. The cool thing about the monument is that it was actually the the statue of the winged victory was made from melted down Civil War cannons. So that's how they cast that. 
I didn't know that. Interesting fact. Yep. Did you read that or did, did you find that out? No, I came up with it myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying, did you read that? No, like, I did there. some research. No, no, this research was later after. afterwards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see. And you can climb this. There's spiral staircases that go to the roof that bring you right below the dome. And I can't remember. Did we do this? Because I've done it before on trips or was it closed at the time? It was closed. It was closed. Okay. Yeah. Because we were talking to, there was that. That guy and his partner that mm-hmm. he was with. Right. And they were on a motorcycle. Yes. Yes. And they were going to a lot of different places on the motorcycle. They mm-hmm. were going all over America on the motorcycle. Yeah. We were chatting with them and we were both talking about how bummed we were that it was closed and we couldn't go up the sides. Mm-hmm. It is cool to go up there. It is a very narrow sort of staircase going up. It's The interesting thing is, is there's these... Kind of like four legs to create these arches, essentially, that create the doorways. And in one of those legs, that's where the spiral staircase is. It is completely like a metal covering on the inside. It almost looks like it's like metal tooled walls. Like if I remember correctly, like little circles on the wall, but all covered in metal, which is fascinating. And then when you get to the top, it is like sort of just an area that you can kind of walk around. It's like another like kind of platform terrace area below the dome. So you can actually look up and see the statue pretty close. And again, you get another great view of everything that's there. So something if you're feeling like, you know, it is a tight space. I think it's one stairway up, one stairway down. Like you, you use the same one. So it's kind of a little bit of an, an noise. Oh. I think it's been a while since I've done it. If you know, since we didn't do it on that trip, it, it's a good like three years now since I've done it. So I can't remember exactly. There may be a second staircase that's just the down. It is, you know, if you're feeling adventurous, go on up. It's worth it. And with that, let's take our next break. Ladies and gentle thems and everyone in between, please welcome to the stage... Amanda Tory Class. Amanda Tory Class. I love this queen. I do too. <laughs> I do too. Mm-hmm. Amanda Tory Class. Yes. I think she just goes by Tory. Okay. Like that's her like, you know, nickname. Tory Class. Tory. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Tory is going to do the opening number. Mm-hmm. And then, you know. Yeah. Jennifer Convertibles is going to do, <laughs> you know, the follow-up. Right. Um, I do feel like she has a lot of fun with, like, like uh, subverting things that are considered classy. Oh, okay. So we're going that route. Because like, I had, like, a Miss Frizzle vibe going on. Oh. Because, like, she's like, you know, let's get on the magic school bus, and I'm going to tell you all about the things you need to know, kind of. Interesting. I and was I feel feeling... like she's got, like, dresses that are... Um, patterned for the specific event that she is covering that day. Okay, so she's a teaching queen. She's a teaching queen. And see, and we I, need more of those in the world. We do need more of those in the world. I was thinking she would be like, oh, look, I'm a little teapot and I'm having a tea party. <laughs> Short and stout. And then suddenly it's like, psych, I'm not reveal. It's something totally, it's very grunge. Oh. Like, I'm not here for your. I don't, um, like, it's always a way to subvert something that, like, has traditionally kept women in a very tight, constricted space. Oh, we are. I think we can put them both together, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think we can have two interpretations of a mandatory class. Mm -hmm. I mean, she has both of these things available to her. Sure. 
Yeah, it depends on what the booking is. Maybe she's doing, you know, a school bazaar. Right. For kindergarten students. The library is, is open. open. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'm. We're just reading these little book girls. Mm-hmm. Right. I feel like maybe her merch is like bookmarks or rulers with like her oh, imagery like on them. Oh, like I Scholastic like Fair kind book of. Book Fair. Book Fair. Oh, you know. I do love The joy a of a fair. Scholastic Book Fair. Yeah. Why was that? Always the greatest thing in the world. I don't world. know, but there was some bottled magic there that Scholastic like captured. The and book fair was coming, and it's like they like had those bookstores didn't exist, right? Like all that, and I right. Right. I just was like, but suddenly I can buy the books right. in the library. But I also think it's like, let's indoctrinate children into capitalism, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. I think that's why. Well, also, like, let's think about this, right? Having a library at the school isn't isn't it? It's supposed to teach you about how to use the library in your community. Sure, right. But yeah. when you go like, psych, our library at our school is now going to be a space to buy books. Right. It's like you know, yeah. I can guarantee you, talk about nine out of something. ten people yeah. end up at the you know the bookstore before they end up at the library. It's true. I know. We should yeah. use our libraries more. Okay. We should. So what song does she say? Um, <laughs> Tangents. Well, now I'm thinking of Riju Rochu from That's a RuPaul song. Okay. Um, I feel like she could do a fun mashup of Don't Know Much About History. Oh. Oh. I don't know that song. Don't know much about history. Oh, okay. Don't know much of biology. Who, who sings that? It's like the Four Tops, or it is oh. like a. You've never heard that song? Well, now that you sing oh, it, okay. that sounds right. familiar. Oh yeah, yeah. So I feel Just like like how you were like name an Annie Lennox song, and I could name one, <laughs> and then when I listened to her whole like discography, you were like, listen, I'm like, I know every one of these songs, right? right? So I do feel like she could do someone, she could do that as a fun sort of mashup. Interesting. Like her own version of it. Um, I kind of want her to do the like, the que Sarah Sarah song, oh. but when there's I a really was... hard version of that song. <laughs> when I was just a little I girl. Mean, like that kind of thing. <laughs> I want her to do the original. I asked my mother, <laughs> what would I be? <laughs> Now you just sound like a uh, like Trekkie monster <laughs> from Avenue Q. <laughs> so, ladies and gentle thems and everyone in between, please welcome to the stage Amanda Tory Class. When we last left the Battle of Gettysburg on July 1st, 1863, the Army of Northern Virginia and the Army of the Potomac engaged in most of the initial conflict to the north and west of the city. During the afternoon of the first day, the Union troops were first pushed from the north back through the town of Gettysburg and then from the west. They fortified themselves at the high point of Cemetery Hill. Even though the Union had the high ground and Lee had provided Confederate General Ewell with the opportunity to strike the Union forces late in the day, he did no such thing. General Meade, the commander of the Union forces, had arrived at the battle site just after midnight on July the 2nd. He decided to hold his ground when he got there, setting the stage for the next day of conflict, which would take place south of the town in the areas that surrounded Cemetery Hill and further south along the high ground of the area from Cemetery Ridge to Big and Little Round Top. There were several theaters of battle throughout this day, the Peach Orchard, Devil's Den, Culp's Hill, and the Wheatfield, to name a few. 
To get a sense of the battle and the overview of the map as the day progressed, both the Union and the Confederacy's lines resembled fish hooks. One surrounded the other. It was the Confederates' plan under leadership of General James Longstreet to expose the weakness in the southern flank of the Union Army in the area around the Round Tops. Unfortunately, Longstreet was surprised as Union General Daniel Sickles, who after having his regiments ordered to the southern part of Cemetery Ridge, believed the position to be too vulnerable and instead moved the forces he commanded to the Wheatfield and Peach Orchard and to a boulder-strewn area known as Devil's Den. These areas were more open to the west, but unfortunately for Sickles and his men, more vulnerable because of their position forward of the Union line. Much of the conflict on the second day took place in the afternoon. Sickles' position, where the Confederacy did not expect him, acted as a deterrent to Longstreet's plan, but not without its costs. Sickles, for his part, was mortally wounded, and his men saw some of the heaviest losses in the areas that they were set to occupy. Fighting was so close at hand in places like the wheat field that it sometimes came down to hand-to-hand battles. It was in the wheat field where the advantage changed hands many times, but eventually lay squarely in that of the Union's hands, despite the heavy losses and poor positioning of Sickles. This was beneficial to the Union line as the nearby peach orchard fell to the Confederates, but the loss was not the most beneficial due to the position of the Union army, which held the other areas nearby. Some of the most important fighting took place even further south on the Round Tops. Big Round Top was covered in trees and didn't offer much from an artillery sense. However, Little Round Top was open and an optimal piece of high ground to occupy. Because of Sickles' blunder, the Confederate forces under Colonel William C. Oates and his 15th Alabama Regiment moved toward Little Round Top. Thankfully, the Union's Army Chief Engineer Brigadier General Governor K. Warren noticed the open position of the hill and ordered the Union soldiers to occupy the hill. The Union forces, under the command of Colonel Strong Vincent, arrived minutes prior to the assault by the 15th Alabama to fortify the hill. Colonel Joshua Chamberlain's 20th Maine Regiment held the left flank. The Union forces endured wave after wave of attack during which Colonel Strong Vincent was mortally wounded. As the fighting to defend the hill continued and the Union forces ran out of energy and ammunition, Chamberlain ordered a bayonet attack down the hill, effectively defeating the 15th Alabama and holding one of the most important positions of the Union Army. Culp's Hill, slightly to the east of Cemetery Hill, where the Union had fortified itself the night before, also saw a great amount of action. Brigadier General George S. Green's corps were entreated with the defense of the hill, which had taken heavy artillery fire from Confederate General Ewell earlier in the day. Confederate Major General Johnson was given the order by Ewell to move his almost 5,000 troops into position to attack the hill later in the day. Much to Union General Green's credit, he held this space by deftly moving only 1,400 men along the top of the hill to repel each Confederate attack that was lobbied, helping to keep this high ground position intact as well. Cemetery Hill was also attacked in the evening by two Confederate brigades, which briefly broke through the line as the Union artillery on the hill couldn't position their guns in a way to repel the onslaught. They were pushed back in the darkness, and the Union held this line as well. While some small fighting took place throughout the night, each side held the ground that they occupied at the end of the day, bringing in reinforcements for the final day of combat on July the 3rd. 
It is time for some Jeopardy-style trivia. I'll go first. So my Jeopardy is titled, Presidents, Put Them Together, and What Do You Got? So this is sort of like a before, during, and after. I'm going to help you to build a president's name, and you're going to name the president. Okay? Okay. So nothing to be concerned about. I'm going to give you clues that'll help you to build their name. Oh, yeah, totally. Okay? So for 100, this blue Sesame Street character and this city where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame are add to give you the 22nd president of the United States. What is Grover Cleveland? Who is Grover Cleveland? Who is but Grover yes, Cleveland? Exactly. You got it? So it's going to kind of go it, like I that. I got it. Okay. I like it. Great. <clears throat> for 200, the male name of this history-making first female vice president candidate with what you might have to do in the Oregon Trail to get across the river, just drop the G, gives you this 38th president. Oh, first female vice presidential candidate. Mm-hmm. With Walter Mondale. I definitely don't know that. Okay, so I'm now I'm moving to the, <laughs> the other thing. So you have to traverse the river, cross... Mm-hmm. Swim. No. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you have to forge a river. Forge. Okay, so for Ford, a rip Ford. Okay. So Gerald Ford. Yeah. And it's actually so dropped the G and E. Sorry. I just realized that. Oh, that's okay. Crappy clue from Mike. <laughs> so the um So Geraldine Ferrara. G- Geraldine. So the male name. Got it. Mm-hmm. Got the it. male variety. The ve- male version the, is what I said, but I didn't like variety, that. The masculine variety. What go. does that word mean? Yeah, Get whatever. out of here with that word. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that one, everybody. For 300, the first name of the spy, known as 007, with this famous Kentuckian fort where our nation's gold reserves are, minus the word fort, and this bohemian originated dance, minus the A at the end, give you this 11th president of the United States. It's James something. This famous know. Kentuckian fort where our nation's gold reserves are. I, oh, that's no, not home. No, and I don't know the dance. So Knox. So James Knox. Oh. So Fort Knox. Got it. Got it. And the bohemian originated dance, minus the A at the end. I'll also give you a hint. This is also a pattern that you might wear. Argyle. No. <laughs> the Argyle dance? The Argyle dance. Um, it's a pattern that's made up of dots. It's also the name of a dance. Polka? James Polk. There James K. Polk. There you go. James Knox Polk. I didn't know his middle name was Knox. I didn't either, and I found it out, and I added it in. There you go. Right? <laughs> All right, for 400. This official brand mascot of Cheetos, first name, with the last name of this Revolutionary War figure who also has a furniture store, with the first name of this once and future king who knew Merlin and has the last name Pendragon, gives you the 21st president of the United States. Is it, who is Chester? Revolutionary War figure who also has a furniture store. Raymore and Flanagan. <laughs> no. Jennifer Convertibles. <laughs> Lazy boy. <laughs> Ashley. No. Ashley Home Store. Great. Can you get the rest of it? You no. got the first. Chester. Nope. 
This once in future king. I knew the Cheetos. Once in future king. Okay, who well, knew that's Merlin. Arthur. Yeah. Ch- Chester, Chester P. Arthur. Chester A. Arthur. Chester A. Arthur. Chester Allen Arthur. What oh. is Ethan Allen was the middle clue. Oh, well, great. <laughs> Ethan Allen. That's Just, true. I got it. I yeah. got it. Okay. All right, for 500, this category. All right, for 500. What you might do in order to produce flour through grinding with what you would refer to as the area of your property that is not your house. So that's the first part, okay? With what you might rudely say to a wait staff without a please if you wanted more coffee would give you this 13th president of the United States. I'm realizing how hard these are now. Okay. What is um, press yard snap? <laughs> president press yard snap. So you got to press that flower <laughs> And then the part of your property that's not your house is your yard. That's right. You got that part right. And then you would you would snap at them. <laughs> that's a very rude thing. Don't ever snap at waitstaff ever. <laughs> what you might say to them if you wanted more coffee in your cup without a please if you didn't say more coffee. That's what I, that's what you would probably right. say. I apologize for this category. <laughs> I mean, don't no, don't. The, it's, uh, I like this category. I like this category, but it um is it is it's a brain it it's is a puzzler. Tough. It's yes. a puzzler. Um who is Millard Fillmore? So you would mill flour, Millard. Mill mill Millard? Well, I was trying to get you there. Oh, Millard. Millard. Okay. And then Fillmore. Snap. <laughs> Fillmore. But I wouldn't actually say Fillmore. <laughs> Fillmore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, honey. Jeopardy by Mike, everybody. Jeopardy. Listen, that was a very clever category. You got the first one. <laughs> I did get the first one. Uh, I was trying to be crafty. Sometimes, you were. You were very crafty. Sometimes it gets away from me, everyone. Are you ready for my category? I am. Mm-hmm. This is almost before, during, and after Gettysburg. Great. Very close. I almost wrote a before, during, and after for this with presidents. Interesting. So, so we meet again, friends. This, this category, every one of these starts. So Gettysburg, there's a quotation marks around G-E-T. So okay. get. Okay. Um, every one of these contains a phrase that has the word get. Okay. Get thee to a nunnery. Like something like that. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Are you like... I didn't use that one, though. Okay, great. Are you ready? I am. Okay. For 100, what you might say to somebody who needs to stop trying to make drama about other people, a novel about a young man trapped inside of a small boat with a Bengal tiger, and what you might use to bake the crust for a lemon meringue. What is get a life of pie dough? Sure, I'll take that. I was thinking pie plate, but you would use pie dough to yeah. make a right so there you go okay get a life of pie dough <laughs> dough <laughs> <laughs> there you go okay great so get a life was great. the phrase yes. right okay so for 200 something you say to me all the time <laughs> <laughs> this is what a child might be wanting to receive on their homework or something mike is always hoping for mm-hmm. this talent competition show that walked so that american idol could run mm-hmm And this phrase you might use in place of, I don't know, beats me. What is get a gold star search me? That's right. (laughs) 
Look at you. I do want that gold star all the time. You do. Give it You're to always me. looking for the gold star. That's right. For 300, this is something you might utter to a friend who has lost control on an emotional tirade. The picture someone paints of their own likeness. And this book by James Joyce. What is Get a Grip on Yourself Portrait of an Artist at a Young Age? Oh, very close. Yes, I'm going to give it to you. But it was, yeah, get a hold of yourself or get a grip of yourself. Or grip on yourself is what I meant to say. Get a hold of yourself portrait of an artist as a young man. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, for 400. This is a phrase you might say to someone who is dreaming up conspiracies. The reality TV program about wealthy women living in this area of California that contains Irvine, Huntington Beach, and Anaheim. And the person in charge of declaring death. So I think I have it. So um, get real housewives of Orange County clerk. Well, the clerk doesn't declare death. (laughs) The clerk is the person who is going to give you a marriage license. The county... um, Mortuous. Coroner. <laughs> Mortuous. The county coroner was county what we coroner. were looking for. Okay. Cool. Right. Close. Close. But no dice. A lot of close ones this time. For 500. Mm-hmm. Something that might happen in your calf if you don't drink enough water, thus completely ruining, say, the throes of passion. An activity. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. An activity. That was a jab at me, everybody. <laughs> it wasn't a jab. Mm hmm. An activity where we get the phrase giddy up and the Drew Barrymore... Also a jab at me. (laughs) (laughs) And the Drew Barrymore film set in the 1960s about being a teen mother. That is Mike's favorite. It's get a Charlie horse and then is it riding in cars with boys at the end? That's right. Like what is get a Charlie horse riding in cars with boys? Mm. Well, I've gotten those both. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my memoir. Uh-huh. <laughs> we were looking for get a Charlie horseback riding in cars with boys. Well, things I've also <laughs> <laughs> This has been Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast, and we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often, and that adventure is always out there. Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by us, Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, follow our Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gazeatthenationalparks at gmail.com. And to find out more about the parks visited on this show, visit our website, gazeatthenationalparks.com. That's gaze, G-A-Z-E. All original artwork featured on Instagram and on our website is by me, Michael Ryan. All original music was written by Dave Seaman and performed by Dave Seaman, Mariella Klinger, and Sean Sklios. Our music producer is Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by me, Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while recording this episode, that we were on the traditional and stolen lands of the Lenape people, also known as Middlesex County, New Jersey.